as we worshiped through giving. As we consider the heart of the matter this morning, we look at God's heart in regard to purity. I want you to know that ultimately this message is about Jesus. It's about his mercy and it's about his grace. It's about his love. It's about the freedom that we all have the opportunity to experience through his shed blood. I um, sent out an email this past week telling you that the message today was going to be PG rated or PG 13, PG 13 rated. And I, I want to kind of give that warning again. Uh, be, if you have a child in the auditorium, um, I need you to know that I'm probably going to be using some terms that deal with sexuality that your child may be unfamiliar with. And while they're welcome to stay, if you're not prepared to discuss some of those terms with your child, then you may want to um, let them spend this time in our children's ministry today. This is an extremely important message. It's a message that I must preach. It's a message that I need to preach. And as I thought about it this past week, I want you to know it's a message that I want to preach. I want to preach this message because I love you. I love this church. And I believe purity is an issue that hinders our church from being all that God wants it to be. Purity is an issue that hinders you from being all that God wants you to be and doing all that God wants you to do. So before we get started, let me say a word of prayer. And I ask you to pray with me. I ask you to ask the Lord to help you to prepare your hearts to receive from him and that your ears might hear his voice. So pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, there will be a lot of people, I think, who find it difficult to understand that ultimately this message is about you. And so I ask, Lord, that we might have eyes to see you as we continue in the heart of the matter, that we might examine your heart, know your heart on this matter. You speak much, you speak boldly, and I believe clearly in your word in regard to this. And so I ask, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us today. And I ask that you would accomplish what you want to accomplish. I confess that I have an agenda, but Lord, I submit that to you. May your agenda be fulfilled this morning. Ultimately, Lord, we are here to bring you glory. It is our very purpose. And my prayer is, is that today you receive glory, honor, praise, worship, that you're exalted 
I trust you for all of that. Thanking you in advance because I pray in faith, believing, and I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So buckle up. Here we go. I don't think anybody could doubt this. I don't think that there is any question that we live in a sex-crazed culture. One of my favorite pastors to read and listen to is Mark Deaver as a church in Washington, D.C. He wrote this, the most important revolution of the 20th century was the sexual revolution. Contraception replaced conception. Pleasure was separated from responsibility. It was, if, it was as if a license was given out legitimizing the bending of every part of our lives around serving ourselves. Since that time, divorce, remarriage, abortion, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, all have been accepted by an increasing percentage of the public. Pornography is a huge business. And this is not just a problem with our society out there. Many churches have found their members plagued by failed marriages and illicit affairs, by so-called private sins that turn into public disgraces, some of which are known and some of which are not yet known. I agree with Mark Devers. I would also say, in addition to that, that we live in a country that is characterized by a profitable, a highly profitable sex industry that touches all sorts of sex. Prostitution is rampant. Sex trafficking is a $58 billion industry worldwide. The United States is ranked among the highest destinations for victims of sex trafficking. I wrote down these words that was from a reputable report on sex trafficking and was blown away by it. A human trafficker can earn 20 times what he or she paid for a girl, provided the girl was not physically brutalized to the point of ruining her beauty the pimp could sell her again to another pimp for a greater price because he had already trained her and broken her spirit, which saves future buyers the hassle. A 2003 study, and I would keep in mind this is 14 years ago, a 2003 study in the Netherlands found that on average, a single sex slave earned her pimp at least $250,000 a year. Sex traffickers use a variety of ways to condition their victims, including subjecting them to starvation, to rape, gang rape, physical abuse, beating, confinement, threats of violence toward the victim and the victim's family, forced drug use, and shame. These victims suffer devastating physical and psychological harm. However, due to language barriers, lack of knowledge about available services, and the frequency with which traffickers move victims, human trafficking victims and their predators are very difficult to catch. We know that here in central Florida, this is a hotbed for sex trafficking. 
that's kind of a, a, a world perspective. But to bring it even more into this room and really what I feel my heart is in regard to this, I believe that sex trafficking in so many ways fuels and is fueled by the pornography industry in our culture. Pornography in this country brings in revenues of $13 billion a year. Every second, and these statistics are old as well, I think eight years old, every second, $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every second, 28,000 internet users view pornography. If the research that has been done on churches is correct, and I believe that it is, the majority of men listening to this sermon right now, at this moment, in this room, have visited one of these pornographic sites over the last month or week, maybe even last night. And I'm praying that God will change that today. Which brings us to our passage of Scripture that we want to look at together today. It's 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the end of that chapter, where Paul addresses this very issue with new believers at the church in Corinth. When I think about Corinth, I think that it probably mirrors our culture today, or maybe our culture mirrors the first century culture in Corinth. Corinth was a city known for its rampant sexual immorality. It was known for its sexual indulgence to the degree that every night in Corinth, over 1,000 temple prostitutes would come down from the temple of Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love, to practice their trade. It was a city, a culture where anything goes, everything was acceptable. New believers in this church in Corinth had come out of that culture what Paul does here in this passage is he gives them, in summation, or a view of an entirely new sexual ethic. It's God's heart on sex. It's God's heart on purity. It's an entirely new, God-centered, gospel-saturated way to look at sexuality. The only difference that I can think of in, the, in, in that culture in Corinth, in the culture in, in central Florida today, was that that culture kind of centered or focused their sexual activity on prostitution. Today it's pornography. Back then prostitution was easy. It was readily available. It was even accepted by society. I think the same holds true for pornography today in our culture. And so in my heart, as I, as I talk about this, I, 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 I want us to see what this is doing to us. 
I was amazed that there's a statistic that says that in the church, more than half of men in, uh, use, utilize, regularly look at pornography. What amazed me even more than that is half of the men who look at pornography think it's okay. What's the big deal? I'm not hurting anybody. The, it, it's, a, it's, it's a form of recreation to them. It's an escape. It's a, it's a getaway. Without any contemplation of the damage that it is doing to him and to those that he loves. My goal today, church family, I want you to know my heart today. And my goal is, is, not, to, is not to push you down. It's not, it's not to beat you up. It's not to rant about all that is wrong in our culture and in our church. But it's to show you that God has a better way. It's to show you that there's a better way. There's a better way, men, to live our lives. There's a better way, women, to live our lives. It's different from the way of this world. As a matter of fact, there are those in, in this world, there are many probably in this world who, if they heard this message, would say, I'm a man of hate. And I'm, I'm closed off and I, 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 I'm not open to possibilities and to, and to who people are and how they're made. But I want us to see, very simply, plainly, that the way of the world leads to death. It leads to destruction. It leads to hopelessness. But the way of God's word leads to life and peace and joy. It leads to love. It leads to reconciliation I want to read 1 Corinthians 6 uh, verses 12 through 20 uh, it'll be on the screen you can read it along with me this is the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth which I just described to you teaching on this very subject here's what Paul says I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. By His power... God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? It is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit flee from sexual immorality 
All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Listen, there's one exhortation in that passage of Scripture. It's one thing that it's getting at. It's found in verse 18, and it very simply says, flee sexual immorality. That's the point of the passage. A conscious decision to turn from that to the saving blood of Jesus Christ, to the freeing blood of Jesus Christ. Flee sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? What am am I talking about? The word Paul uses for sexual immorality, the Greek word for sexual immorality is the word pornea. Pornea. It's a general term. It's used in the scriptures a lot. And it refers to everything from adultery to fornication to prostitution to homosexuality. And it's dominant in the scriptures. It's talked about much in the scriptures. Biblically, sexual immorality refers to any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's what sexual immorality is. And that's what it's talking about when it says flee sexual immorality. Kevin DeYoung, another one of my favorite pastors, in in trying to define the word porania or sexual immorality, wrote these words, and I I found it helpful for me. It kind of brought it home for me. It it, kind of made it clear to me. I, I read what he says as a definition, uh, and I'm unable, according to his definition, to just shrug this off as no big deal. Here's what Kevin DeYoung writes. The simplest way to understand pornea is to think about the things that would make you furious and heartbroken if you found out someone was doing them with your husband or wife. If someone shook your wife's hand, you would not be upset. If someone gave a casual side hug to your husband, it probably wouldn't bother you. A kiss on the cheek or even a peck on the lips in some cultures might be appropriate. But if you find out another person had sex with your wife or saw her naked or touched certain parts of her body, you would be furious. If you found out another person made out with your husband or talked about sexual activities or made certain gestures, you would be heartbroken. Why? Because these are all activities that are appropriate for a married couple but are inappropriate when practiced outside of the lawful relationship of a man and woman in marriage. Any sexual activity between those who are not married or between two men, or between two women, or among those, or among more than two persons, or between family members, or between those married to other people, any sexual activity in these contexts is sin and can be included in the prohibitions against pornea. Any of those, Paul says flee, run, 
when I, I see the words flee sexual immorality, do, do, do you think of an Old Testament character? Maybe Joseph in the house of Potiphar happened to be there with just him and Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And his response to that was, run. He ran. He fleed. Get that image in your head and then take that and transfer it to what Paul said. Flee immorality. Turn and run from it. Flee from it. Conscious decision. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run from that. I want to take this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians and look at just a few things that I think are important to this subject as we seek the heart of God on purity. The first thing in, in verses 13 and in verse 20, we are reminded that God created our bodies for his ultimate glory. I think that this is very important. We talked about this in depth last week. Our purpose is the glory of God. That's the heart of God, his glory, his glory. God created our bodies for his ultimate glory. Verse 13, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will, restore, and, and God will destroy them both. Here's how we treat sexual immorality sometimes. We treat it the same way we treat food. We're hungry, we eat. It's natural. What, you have a problem with that? We have a sexual desire, we feed it. It's natural. Why do you have a problem with that? Well, here's what Paul says. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. I think that's an important phrase. God is for you. This isn't some, God doesn't want to beat you down this morning. God wants to lift you up this morning. God wants you to know that there is freedom in the blood of Jesus. God wants you to know that he'll walk with you through this, this journey, through this bondage to that place of freedom. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. If God wasn't for you, then if he said flee sexual immorality, it would be because he, he wants to, to, to keep us from enjoying sex. But that's not the case. He's for you, and he says flee sexual immorality. Verse 20 has always been one of my favorite verses, and it speaks to the character of God. Don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The character of God is important in this struggle. It's important to know that, that God is for us, that God provides a way for us. But we're sinners. <laughs> and the way that th th there's this process that I see it, 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 not only in, in, in all sin, but specifically this morning in the sin of sexual immorality. I, I, I looked at Romans, the first chapter, verses 18 through 32. It gives us some great insight into this, this process that takes place within us. 
I'm not going to take the time to go there and read that this morning, but let me share this with you. 18 through 21. Sin disorders our hearts. It disrupts our hearts. It, it takes our hearts off of track. Our heart, in our hearts, we, we begin to exchange God's pattern, God's blueprint, God's way for our own preferences. Sin distorts our hearts, disrupts our hearts in such a way that what we want is more important to us than what God wants for us. Our hearts lean toward or bent toward the world's way, not God's way. And then, and then when the heart is disordered, it says in verses 21 through 25 that, that our heart begins to mold our thoughts, our thinking. And, and when we start, see, our hearts say, this is my desire, this is God's desire, but this is, this is what I want. And then it begins to mold our thoughts, and in our thoughts, we start rationalizing. We, we start justifying. Well, it's okay. I'm not hurting anybody. And that just festers and simmers in our minds. First our hearts and, and then the way that we think. This rationalization and justification is, 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 is contrary to God's blueprint and to God's way and to God, God's best for you. Then in verses 24 and 27, our thoughts begin to dictate our desires. And we begin to feel we have a right, a right to fulfill our desires. It, it, it's, like, it's like we exchange the responsibilities that we have for our rights. And our, we want our rights. I have a right to do this. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to be fulfilled. I have a right to pursue that. It's our heart and then our minds, and, and it moves toward our desires, and these desires become so strong. And of course, you know, in verses 24 through 27, Romans chapter 1, it very simply says, then our desires begin to dictate our actions. We act out our desires. This is not new to God. It's our, it's, our, it's our experience. And so, and so we understand that the character of God is that, is that he is for us and that he gave us bodies so that we could glorify him. But we are a, a sinful people. We're all sinners and we need a savior. And the good news this morning is we have one. We have a savior in Jesus Christ. There is victory in the blood of of Jesus Christ. There is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That verse 20, I said, was my favorite verse that, that, that you've been bought with a price. The cost of that was the blood of Jesus. He bought you with his blood. He has purchased you. You belong to him. And then this amazing, amazing passage, verses 15 through 17. Listen carefully to this. It really took me back a step or two. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? That, 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 
that we bring Christ, we bring Jesus, we bring our Savior into this immorality, into this sin. Jesus has united our bodies with his. So guard what you see and what you touch and what you say. And guard what you think and what you desire and how you act. Here's the bottom line, and here's what this verse is saying. If you look at porn, you're involving Jesus in porn. The sufficiency of Christ. There's freedom in his blood, and there's also the necessity of faith. Believing. Do you believe? Turn from your sin and, turn, and, and, and from yourself. I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered. I will not be controlled. I, my, my life will not be dictated by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them? And on it goes. Paul says that in Jesus we are free from bodily sin. We can be free from bodily sin that harms so deeply. Listen, this is what... in order to seek him by his blood for freedom, we have to understand what this is doing to us. This is not a victimless sin. And, and, and I think that that's what Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying in verses 12 through 14. We can be free from bodily sin. It's a sin that harms us deeply. It controls us. It's important that you understand why Paul is talking here about something that masters him, something that controls him. We'll change our schedules so that we can participate in this immorality. It controls us. I know I should be there, but I want to be here. I'll set that aside for now so that I can indulge in this. They say, the studies say that men who are addicted to pornography spend hours and hours and hours every week looking at pornography. Hours and hours and hours. It controls them. It's mastered them. So we can be free from this that harms so deeply, controls so quickly, and devastates so painfully. I find it interesting, this, 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 this phrase... It says, did did you notice the nature of sexual sin here? Verse 18, right after the exhortation to flee sexual immorality, Paul points out the difference between sexual sin and other sin. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. What does that mean? Here he's saying that sexual sin is different. I know that all sins are the same in, in, in in the sight of God. I know that the, that the price for our sin was the same, the shed blood of Jesus. So in that sense, all sins are the same. All sins dishonor God. But the Bible makes clear here that sexual sin is particularly destructive to you. 
It harms deeply. It harms you. It changes you. And it harms others. Sexual sin is deceptive. It promises satisfaction. It promises reward. And we run after it. But it never delivers what it promises. Never. Temporary pleasure at a time? Yeah, maybe. But deep pain in the end, every time. Sexual sin harms deeply. It controls quickly. And Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. But that's what sexual sin does. It dominates. It controls us. I talk with people all the time who feel like they're controlled by. I talk with people all the time who feel like they're they're controlled by or addicted to some facet of sexual sin. It controls quickly. It devastates and it's painful. There's one young man who I just dearly love in our church who we've been spending some time together. His thought on an addiction to pornography is, Pastor Dale, I just want it to stop. I just want it to stop. I just want to be free of it. And I'm confident that if we took the time this morning to go around this room, we could hear story after story of testimony of the truth of this reality. Adultery devastates. Pornography devastates. Sexual immorality devastates. It devastates you. It devastates the ones you love. It devastates our bodies. Our bodies were not made for that. Our bodies were made to bring glory to God. I'm especially concerned at how it impacts the people that we love. It devastates others, particularly the spouse that we have reunited our bodies with. And ultimately, it devastates Jesus with whose body we are joined together. Sexual immorality is extremely serious. Turn from this sin, I urge you. Turn from sexual immorality. Flee it. Flee it. In Jesus... Flee it. We're probably famous for, known for, telling you what to do and then sending you home to do it on your own. I don't want that to be the case with this subject. As a matter of fact, I want to be a resource for you. And I want to speak specifically to our men right now. I know that if our church is typical, and I think that it is, that more than half the men in our church look at pornography on a regular basis. And I think about it from a pastor's perspective, and and I want to tell you that my perspective is probably selfish. Part of it is motivated by my love for you and the bondage that you are in. Part of it's motivated by my love for you and my desire to see you free from that bondage. A big part of it, however, is I think about what it's doing to our church. I think about it, how it's hindering our church. 
I think about revival in our church and how pornography can hinder that. I think about men who sit here on Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit speaks clearly to you and draws you to himself and you are convicted about it and you want to follow him. You want to go to him. You want to, you, you want to get right. You, you, you want to do what he's calling you to do. But there's this thought in the back of your mind, there's no sense in me making that commitment because I know that tonight or tomorrow I'm going to be back doing that again, looking at that stuff. And it hinders, and it, it hinders revival in our church, and it, it hinders our church from being who God wants us to be, and it hinders our church from doing what God wants us to do. You think that I haven't asked myself the question over and over again after the Holy Spirit has filled this place with his presence and called so many people to himself and not one person moves, and I ask why? I think this is a big part of it. And so I think that we together ought to address it. And in, 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 in partnering with our men's ministry, our entire church is going to offer a Bible study series starting two weeks from tomorrow night, Monday night, starting at 7 o'clock and going to 8.30. It's a video-based series with proven results February 13th through March the 13th, five Monday nights, 7 to 8.30. It's for men and men only. And it's for their teenage sons. Now, I don't know your sons like you do. So you determine whether or not this is something that you want to bring him to. But I would encourage you to seriously consider doing that. I don't want you to be afraid. There's not going to be a spotlight on you. You don't even have to talk if you don't want to. But it's a, it's a series that you're going to be able to relate to, and it's a series that will help you experience freedom from this. When I first started putting this together, I was, this is how I thought. Now, I know that I'm going to be talking to some men who are really, really struggling with this, and I'm going to be talking to some men who aren't struggling with this at all, and there's kind of two categories of men. But you know what? The Holy Spirit said to me, that's not true at all. We all struggle with this, men. Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. You're familiar with this passage of Scripture. He said, you've heard it said that uh, you shouldn't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, Jesus said, and I'll paraphrase, if you look at a woman and then look away and then you look at her again, you've committed adultery. If you look at a woman and, you're, and your look lingers there and you, and you won't look away, you've committed adultery. We all struggle with this and we all need this series. I'm asking all of our men, all of our men, to come and be a part of this and bring your teenage sons or, or your older sons, your married sons, bring, bring people to this. I want you to watch this quick video. It's three minutes. It's about the series. And then I'm going to pray, and then author's going to lead us, and we're going to be dismissed. Watch this video, if you will. <laughs> 